Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Episode 63, Pay Principles for All the People They Manage. I'm not sure about you, but I wonder if you've ever worked for free. It's a question that most of you might answer no to before you might think again. And it's very likely that you have worked for free in some capacity. For example, I used to work for Childline when I was in college. However, that was called volunteering and nobody made me do it. In fact, I still think about that experience and the amount I got out of doing it. I've also performed my poetry at festivals for free. And at the time I was just getting started and was only just getting published. So the exposure was useful and it led to some paid gigs after that. Some of you might have done work experience or internships or dare I mention job bridge, and you would have gained experience which may have helped you get a job in the future in whatever capacity you were aiming for. However, if you're a principal, you may not have thought about how you work for free managing anyone in the school that isn't a teacher. Principals are only paid by the Department of Education to manage teachers, not SNAs, not caretakers, not secretaries, nor bus escorts, or anyone else for that matter. So in this episode, I'm going to argue that if I were the Minister for Education, I would be paying principals for managing all members of a school team. Hello, hello, you are welcome to episode 63 of If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshot.net. This is Simon Lewis. Now, I am recording this episode at the beginning of the 2021-22 school year. And if you're listening in the future, I'll just set the scene a little bit. It can be summed up in five letters and two digits. C-O-V-I-D-1-9, COVID-19. And this is the second year schools have opened up while the virus is still live and with us. And in order to combat this virus, almost all teachers are now vaccinated. Now that's not because they were treated any any differently to the rest of the population, like most other countries prioritise their teachers, but because almost everyone over 16 had been given the vaccine by the end of August. However, a virus, sorry, however, a variant known as Delta is at large with over 2000 cases per day in Ireland, making us the country with the most prevalence of the virus in the EU. However, because vaccine take up, cases in ICU are relatively low. Unfortunately, only people that aren't vaccinated in Ireland are those that believe what they read on the Internet and those that are under the age of 12. Now, we can't do much for or about people who have convinced themselves that even though they can thank vaccines for the reason they aren't riddled with polio, mumps, measles or TB, that the COVID-19 vaccinated somehow either different to other um, vaccines or kind of more baffling part of some agreement between governments of the world to keep the population of the world down. So no, we can't do much about them. However, the group, other group, simply don't have access to the vaccination as I'm recording. They're children under 12, who just so happen to be the clients of primary schools and thus most likely to get COVID-19 and spread it. Now, thankfully, the government have acted swiftly. 
over 14 months after they were recommended by uh, the, by recommended the government have finally supplied schools with co2 monitors which they've set to alert teachers when co2 levels have reached levels which would be risky now outside of schools this figure is around 800 parts per million but in schools you know we're resilient enough we can take 1500 parts per million oh yeah and when we reach those levels the solution is we need to open a window because that will solve the problem of carbon dioxide uh, in the classroom and the build-up of that um, and also just while i'm saying it pretty much most schools have received so few of the co2 monitors uh, perhaps three or four maximum and uh, per, per school no matter what size they are so for a 28 room school like mine i have three working co2 monitors uh, to share amongst the the rest of the staff anyway why am i telling you this if you're listening now because you already know it and why am i telling you in the future because it's all over well to be honest i'm not really sure but i probably needed to get that off my chest along with the long COVID I'm likely suffering with because I've deliberately not done any more special episodes about COVID-19 since last year because in reality I kind of find myself just repeating myself over and over again and ultimately if, if we're really honest with you outside of schools and um, nobody really cares anymore do they I mean people seem to have gone back to a bit of normality uh, in some ways I mean when's the last time you looked for the number of cases uh, in the country and so on but it seems in Ireland that when it comes to tackling things like the climate crisis, dealing with homelessness, maybe dealing with direct provision or making our country a more equal place for our citizens, none of these things are as important as keeping schools open by any means. So what we do is we all put our fingers in our ears and we sing la 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 and send our unvaccinated children into crowded small rooms with almost no mitigation measures. And when one in six schools report COVID-19 cases within a week of the starting the school year, we listen to the woman on the TV explain that there's nothing at all to see here and we shouldn't be worried at all. And anyway, didn't the government make schools even safer by throwing CO2 monitors at them? Now we know they don't actually do anything to make schools safer, but la 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 la. Yeah, you know, anyway. I haven't even started this episode and I'm already, <laughs> I've already digressed. I haven't even said a word about what I'm going to talk about. But what I was going to say was if you picture those CO2 monitors, which measure the CO2 levels in the room, the, the following is green is low. OK, so that means you don't have you have an acceptable level of CO2. A yellow is sort of medium, orange is medium high. And then, uh, you know, red is high. You know, you know, if there is, um, you know, red is the highest it can be. So when you see red, you know, you need to do something. It's it's um, the worst case scenario, let's say. So, I mean, just to give, I mean, to give, that was a very rather, it was a very, very long analogy, to be perfectly honest, because what I'm, the reason I've said this is because if there was some sort of CO2 monitor for this podcast, so, um, and, it, and instead of CO2, it measured whinging teachers um, or whinging teacher levels, I'll admit before I begin that this might be showing, this episode might show a little bit of red in places but please hear me out because i hope i convince you that while some of my examples at first might seem like whinging and a little bit red there's an absolute logic to them and hopefully by the end you'll agree with my argument and you'll turn your teacher whinging dial back to green the safe level and the likelihood is that if you are a teacher you know you probably will agree and if you aren't 
you'll probably tell me to get over myself. I have to put another caveat or two before I begin because I'm reading, I'm already reading the first sentence of my argument and it does sound a little bit precious, okay? So here's the first caveat. Look, teachers are reasonably well paid. I know that. We're not, we're not crying poverty, okay? And while it would seem that way, I'm genuinely not looking for most teachers to be paid more than they are already being paid by, by part of this episode, okay? I'm not looking for pay increases in this episode. Caveat number two, I know that most people in this level of profession, uh, you know, any level of profession like, like teaching, so a high level of a professional job, they work more hours than their contract says and they generally don't get paid for those hours. I know that. I know there's people who are working far, far more hours than they're actually getting paid for and they just, I, and, and they're expected to suck it up and, and often they do. So I don't want to come across here as saying that we should be being paid by the hour. OK, I'm, I, I get that in this level of profession, you know, we're beyond the pay per hour kind of thing, if that makes sense. Um, look, I'm sure I'll have more caveats, but I'm going to that, that'll do for now. And you're probably wondering, am I ever going to get this episode started? And if I was in a classroom right now, the CO2 monitor would definitely be read already with all the hot air I'm putting out before I even begin. So let's go. All right. What free work? do we do in schools that wouldn't be free in other places? You see, that's the first sentence. You see, it's, I told you it sounded a bit precious, didn't I? Anyway, but let's look at some examples, okay? And we're going to start off with a really good document. It's well worth looking at. It comes out every so often. And it's the OECD Education at a Glance document. And it gives great examples of, you know, the, the landscape around the OECD. So Irish teachers um, are only paid for their contact time, Okay. So teachers right now um, in Ireland are just are only paid for the time they spend with the children. And the time that we spend with children is well above OECD averages. We spend more time than, um, than m- most of our other counterparts around the, uh, around the OECD. And all of our non-contact time. So we don't get we actually don't get paid. This is free work. Okay, I'm just, that's just what it is. I'm not saying that's, I'm not making a judgment on it. I'm just saying that's what it is. So any time that you don't spend in a classroom is free work. Now, the OECD Education Glance at a Glance document also reveals that Ireland is unique insofar the principals. So moving on to principals, we've talked about teachers and their contact time, but principals either have zero teaching responsibilities or 100% teaching responsibilities. Now that's probably gone down to 80% uh, given that there's one day per week uh, given to um, teaching principals uh, for administrative time. Um, But 80% is still cut out. So it's either zero teaching responsibilities or 80% teaching responsibilities in 2021. And while that has nothing to do with working for free, the document also says that Ireland um, has one of the lowest statutory number of hours expected of a principal by far. So in other words, if you look at the cold hard facts, it's in Ireland, it shows that we work by far the lowest number of hours of any other country in the OECD. And if you look at the graph, at first glance, it looks nuts that it looks like principals do nothing <laughs> and uh, I, I'm laughing uh, because, you know, and, you, and you'll see why but the actual document then kind of has to go out of its way it has to make the point and it makes the point that school heads in Ireland may work during at least a part of the students school holidays 
although it is not included in their statutory working time. Well, duh. I, I mean, imagine that's that's kind of funny in a way that they uh, that they say that um, you, you'll find um, you'll find me. Uh, you find me basically. Yeah. If, I mean, if you can find me a principal that takes the full summer holidays off, you know, I, 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 I tell you what, um, I'd be surprised. So, yes, even the OECD, which is usually more interested in cold hard figures, had to make the point that principals work for free. In fact, principals are basically on call all the time and officially so since COVID-19 when the INTO and IPPN suggested to uh, the uh, Department of Education that we hand our private mobile numbers to the HSE so we could be on call 24-7 in case there were case of COVID cases in schools. So effectively, uh, principals right now work 24 hours um, of which they are paid for five of those hours a day. Teachers are now expected to do a huge amount of extra administration that simply didn't exist even a decade ago. And they're now expected to take on extra duties in terms of behaviour, attendance, child protection and other pastoral responsibilities. Teachers don't have a contract of hours per week, as I mentioned above, and they could work anything from an average minimum of 42 hours, according to the evidence that's been collated um, across several uh, different surveys. However, I want to focus on one position. Um, I could focus on what teachers do all the time, but let's just focus on the one position because number one, it's the title of the episode. And number two, you'll be with me all night if I included teachers in this. Let's just focus on the principle. And as much as people outside of the teaching world might be convinced that boards of management manage schools, and yes, the clue is in the name, and yes, when a school is sued, it is the board of management that is sued. But the reality is that boards of management, like most boards of directors in companies, are not the day-to-day managers. They meet about five times a year, and they are simply there for governance. The day-to-day manager of a school is the principal, as you know. The book stops with them. You might often hear that. And a principal of a school is kind of a strange role, because depending on who you ask, you'll get a different answer. It might surprise you, or it might not surprise you, particularly if you are a school principal, that the roles and responsibilities of the school principal have not been updated since 1973. Yes, 1973. Now, let's thinking about 1973. In 1973, not only could you not send an email, the word email didn't even exist at that time. In fact, it would be 20 years before the World Wide Web became popularised and any computer that existed in Ireland at that time wouldn't even fit in a room in a house. It was a decade before the era of the personal computer in the 1980s and it was also an era where the principal was almost always a man and he was known as a moshter or master and behaviour management was a combination of intimidation and violence. And there was no such thing in 1973 as GDPR, SSC, child protection, enrolment policies, code of behaviour, anti-bullying, health and safety or substance use policies. There wasn't much in terms of learning pedagogy, no active learning, conferencing, peer groups, think pair share, learning styles and so on. There was no differentiation and if you had traditional needs there was nothing for you in school. I mean I could go on and on and on and on and on and on because we are coming up to 50 years since the job of a principal was defined in law. 50 years. I mean, seriously, let that sink in. 50 years since our role was defined in law. The role in 1973 could be was summarised in six pages. 
It consisted of 29 things he, because it was almost always a he, was directly responsible for. And you can actually find that document online by searching for it. Uh, no problem. The INTO have it online. Now, I don't list all 29 things because it would take too long. But if you read it, I mean, one of the things that surprised me, to be honest with you, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm after, even though I'm after going, I can't believe it hasn't been updated since 1973. It's actually surprisingly still relevant, although there are obviously gaping holes, given the much higher complexity of education now. And to be fair to the document, it does mention things like special classes and gifted children, which I really didn't expect to see when I opened the document. It offers a much more modern approach um, to working with parents than I expected. For example, the principal teacher should seek to win the confidence, cooperation and goodwill of the parents. And I guess, to me, the only point that seems kind of out of place in the modern context, which was obviously extremely important in 1973, was the rule that the principal should bring to the notice of his pupils the advantages, both national and personal, of the habit of saving. A very Irish thing, clearly. I don't know if we still do that. And even though that's a, a, that one of the things that principals are supposed to have to do right now, it's um, it's kind of an interesting one, isn't it? Um, however, it's all very, very loose uh, on those six pages. And it's likely that if you are a principal and you only did what was listed in these 29 points, you'd find yourself in terrible bother very quickly. There's no expansion on any of these points. And unfortunately, these have come thick and fast since 1973, so much so that almost every organisation out there seems to have their own definition as to what the role of the principal is to them. So in essence, um, why is that? I mean, why do we have so many organisations out there who are now defining the role of a principal and telling principals what to do outside of the Department of Education? Well, in essence, it actually comes from that 1973 circle and it actually comes from point three of it. And it says the authority of the principal teacher for the organisation and conduct of the school derives from the authority of the manager and subject to the authority of the manager, the overall responsibility for the day to day activities of the school devolves on the principal teacher. Now, this hasn't been defined in any way because the manager back then was likely the parish priest, which evolved to become the board of management and everything that's now sent to the board of management devolves on the principal. Now, not much has changed since 1973, except that since then, instead of 29 key responsibilities, there are now thousands. Taking one circle at random, you know, one that didn't exist in 1973, let's say the child, the latest child protection circular, this actually has 60, I think it's 65 points. So that's almost three times the number of listed responsibilities for the principal back in 1973, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Like for the, just one circular alone gives principals 65 different responsibilities. Um, and that's just one circular now. So, you know, it's kind of interesting just, just even to give that as an example. This also means that almost everyone who devolves their own responsibilities to schools has their own opinion on what the role of the principal is. Now, the INTO um, as actually gives possibly the most balanced um, <laughs> kind of uh, definition of what the role of the principal is. I'll just go through a few of these things. So the INTO anyway is my first one. It basically gives the facts. They summarised the, the document from 1973 and perhaps the only other document that relates to principles was the Education Act in 1998 and sections 22 and 23, uh, which basically consists of, now wait for it, um, it basically repeats a few bits from the 1973 document, effectively. And the only other thing it says um, 
that it wasn't in the 1973 document was statutory functions are assigned to principal teachers in the Educational Welfare Act 2000 and the Epson Act 2004 and in the Governance Manual for Primary Schools. And essentially it's saying that Department of Education can force principals to do the work of other agencies. Just going back to that point earlier. I'll just, uh, as I said, uh, take one other example of that. And one other example, I'll go to my best buddies. Why not? The NCSE. They have a page on their website dedicated to telling principals their responsibilities for working for ch with children with additional needs. And in fact, since they dumped the set allocation model on principals, they've helpfully explained the extra free work that the principal must do on top of the work they were already doing before. Because before that, the NCSE were doing the set allocations. Now they just said, you know what, principals, you do it. And when you're doing it, sure, why don't you do the following? And I was I have this big long list of the things that a principal has to do and I was going to well I read it sure I'll read it out they need to develop inclusive whole school policies and monitoring their implementation so that's one job assigning staff strategically to teaching roles including special education roles like, I kind of think we do that anyway but well, I don't know if we do it strategically we just assign staff to, to their roles uh, coordinating teachers work to ensure continuity of provision for all pupils which would be possible if we had enough resources, which it isn't. So it's an, a, an aspirational thing to do. Ensure that whole school procedures are established to facilitate the effective involvement of parents, pupils and external professionals and agencies. Thank you very much. Uh, ensuring the effective systems are information. Uh, sorry, if, uh, ensuring that effective systems are implemented to identify pupils needs and that progress is monitored methodically not just measured, monitored, oh, it's methodically, um, facilitate the continuing professional development of all teachers in relation to education of pupils with special education needs and ensure that all school staff, class teachers, special education teachers and special needs assistants are clear regarding their roles and responsibilities in this area. And there you go. So effectively, that's them dumping um, their role on us. Now, to be honest, the reason I read all that out wasn't because it's interesting. And I'm sure, I'm sure you didn't find it interesting. In fact, it doesn't really matter what it says. It's the length and breadth of the content that matters. And that's just one external agency who are plonking the responsibilities onto school principals. And as you can imagine, when you bring them all together, the list becomes huge and it's growing and growing year by year. Let's have a look at some of the uh, highly acronym um, heavy uh, agencies that are giving us extra work for free. Let's look at the National Education Welfare Board or the NEWB, noobs. Um, I never realised that's about noob. Anyway, they have dumped um, their, um, basically, their, their, I mean, I suppose, chasing down people. Um, you know, if someone missed 20 days of school back, back before the recession, the NEWB officer would contact those parents and take it from there. Now they've dumped all that work on um, on principals to go and schools to hunt down people who've missed 20 days and put in all sorts of um, provisions before you actually moved the NEWB to actually do anything. So you have loads of extra work for free. NEPS, which is the National Psychology Service, uh, before we, again, back before the recession, um, you know, they, they were involved um, in, in, you know, assessing children and things like that. We now have a load of pre-assessment work to do and a load of interventions to do before we even consider um, a, a sending a child for assessment. Now, maybe sometimes that's a good thing, but it, it, in some ways it's extra work for free. The inspectors dumped Drihid on us or probation on us at the time, which has now turned into Drihid. And, uh, you know, I'll, I, I have a full episode on that coming up soon, uh, so I'm not going to waste any more time on it. You know my feelings on Drihid now if you're a regular listener. The HSE has effectively 
dump their therapies uh, unofficially on schools. I see S- uh, SNAs uh, doing OT and SLT when they've absolutely no no um, qualifications to do so because the HSE couldn't be bothered uh, doing uh, doing the OT and SLT. They, in fact, you'll see OTs and SLTs giving us sheets um, of of things to do uh, with children when they're in school. Um, just for free, you just do it. The NCSE, um, uh, going back to them, uh, I've talked about the allocation of uh, SET, but they've also given us the SN- SNAs to allocate as well. Again, a job they were supposed to do, um, making the role of the CNO completely defunct, uh, I should add. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, they, they, that's now school's job. We've got the FSSU, which is a financial thing. They've they've basically given us loads of complex accountancy to do, including things like RCT, which I don't even know what it means. Um, the SEAI, which is the environmental stuff. They want us to monitor our energy levels. Again, we have to do this work for free. GDPR, we didn't get anyone to help us with GDPR. Uh, human resources and their complexities all dumped onto schools. Insurance claims and suing cases against school, all the work on that goes to the school. You could have, you could be sued by a family and over seven years you could be uh, basically doing loads and loads of paperwork, working with solicitors um, and, and, and doing hours upon hours upon hours. And again, why is it why is it that we're doing that um we um <laughs> uh, we've uh, the child protection i mentioned there's 65 ticky boxes um and new policies coming down the line such as being in charge of well-being now principals are going to have to be in charge of creating all these well-being uh, ideas and managing them and everything else for free and all sorts of strange employment issues that come up from time to time that a principal has no qualifications uh, whatsoever to deal with so as you can see, the job of a principal is not the same job that the 1973 document envisaged. And in reality, a company, if you had a company with the same number of um, with the with the same number of responsibilities, they would need a few departments to do the job that one principal is doing. And just as a bit of an aside, there was an Irish Times article in 2017, because I, I, I mean, it's not just um it's not just these agencies that will tell you to tell a principal what their role is now. Uh, the Irish Times decided to get get involved and they asked about what makes a great principal. And honestly, that's the title of their article. And to be fair, I, I, I when I saw the um, the headline, I was always oh, my my ears um steam came out of my ears. Is that what they say? Yeah, my ears steamed up. No, my uh, steam came out of my ears. But to be fair, when I actually read it, it's actually a lovely, nice little article where they interview principals about what they think are the qualities of a great principal. And a sample quote uh, from it, uh, which uh, I thought was uh, from uh, from some um, researcher in the UK was a good head teacher has big ears so she can hear many, many mean things that students are saying, long arms so she can care for her students and wears high heels so she can be seen at assembly. Now, I'm not quite sure if I'm ready to don stilettos just yet, so I guess I shall have to remain not a great principal, perhaps mediocre. Anyway, however, if one analyzes all the responses, every single one of them points to a caring role. All the responses in this Irish Times article, it, all of them pointed to a caring role, one of building relationships. Now, none of these are listed in the 1973 document or any other circular for that matter. Anyway, you know, sometimes it's nice not to be giving out all the time. So consider that like Irish Times bit, a bit of an ad break and a bit of an ad for the Irish Times. And imagine who could <laughs> who would have thought it came from the one of the best teacher bashing capitals of the uh, uh, in the country. Yeah, the Irish Times. Anyway, the best summary of the principal role, possibly unsurprisingly, 
uh, is from the IPPN, the Irish Primary Principles Network, which was written by the Hay Group uh, a number of years ago. And it's a 52-page document which summarises at that time the responsibilities that a principal now had. And to be fair, who better than the biggest representative body of principals to summarise our role? And they actually do a really good job. Um, now, I'm obviously not going to read the full 52 pages because you can do that yourself if you really want to, because it, it, it goes into good detail. But they do manage to condense the role of the principal into seven key points. And they're leadership, teaching and learning, resource management, human resources, policy formation, administration and external relationships. Now, each of these areas is broken down. And by the end of the document, you're actually tired after reading it because suffice to say there's a huge amount packed inside those 52 pages and so much more has been put upon principles since it was made. It could actually be hundreds if not thousands more responsibilities since that 52 page document came along. Now naturally uh, principles have not been reimbursed for any of these additional responsibilities and they keep coming and coming because in reality we don't have representation as principals. The IPPN, although I've called them a representative body, are actually a support network. They're not a representative body because they can't make any demands really. They can just support their network, which is what they do. And they've no role in actually representing principals in reality. That falls on the INTO, the union, who are supposed to represent principals. But the reality is they have been behind many of the initiatives that have been pushed onto principals, most notably DRIHID, and to a lesser level at the moment, Cusson, which is coming down the tracks, and they're very much in support of it. It's taken huge work from volunteers like the National Principals Forum to get the INTO to even acknowledge things, for example, like the benchmarking award, which, was, uh, which wasn't paid uh, and was based on the workload of principals back in 2007. Which, um, and the INTO weren't even thinking about looking for that paid back. And after huge pressure from the National Principals Forum, it eventually got on the agenda. Um, and even getting recognition um, as well that the teaching principal needs time for administrative duties had to be fought for almost a decade before the INTO put it on their agenda. However, it was only in 2019 that they finally recognised that leaders of schools were in crisis and the Primary Workload Forum was established where the INTO, the IPPN and the Department of Education would meet to discuss primary uh, workload of principals. And since 2019, they have done almost, and I don't mean to be absolutely rude about it, but they've done almost nothing. In fact, their sole successes have been to delay things from happening rather than reducing anything that was already on the workload. All they did was hit the pause button um, uh, on, on initiatives that were adding to the workload of principals. For example, front-loading of SNAs and the introduction of the new maths curriculum. They're the two things they managed to pause. Front-loading of SNAs has come in since they paused it for a year. The new maths curriculum will be coming in very soon. Hardly a success. Taking away all the paperwork and other workload, principals now manage huge numbers of people. Yet they're only paid for the teaching staff. For example, I have over 40 staff in my school and I'm paid for 25 of them because they're the teachers. I don't get paid for managing SNAs, ancillary staff, bus escorts and so on, but I'm one of the lucky ones because I am paid for about 60% of the people I manage. If you go to any special school, it's most likely that the principal's managed is paid to manage less than 10% of her overall staff as she's only paid for the teachers. 
And a typical special school might have eight teachers, 25 SNAs, 30 bus escorts and a bunch of ancillary staff. And none of the above includes working with the many, many external agencies and people that come and go on a daily basis, whether that's the HSE, the NCSE, NEPS, the NEWB, CAMS, School Completion Programme, HSCL, solicitors and so on. And then on top of this, close to 60% of them have full-time teaching duties. And no wonder, I mean, can you, no wonder almost seven in 10 primary school principals have stated in the last two years that they would step away from the position if they could. And that's a whole other episode in there. Episode 54, to be precise, where I talked about that very topic. I knew I was repeating myself a little bit in this episode, but anyway, by this stage, you're probably wondering, you know, you've talked about the principals a lot. Um, you know, what about the teachers? I mean, in fairness, I know it's about principals this episode, but I mean, I only, I only talked a little bit about teachers. But the thing is, when principals can't manage all this extra work, it is expected that they distribute the workload among staff. Have you heard of this whole idea of distributive uh, leadership where you distributed the work around the staff. So by working in a school, there's an expectation from the Department of Education that you will also do some of the work they throw to principals, or boards of management, then principals, and then it drops down to teachers, that you'll do some of the work the Department of Education expect for free. So I've gone through the problems. What's the solution? Well, I guess I've gone really deep into the rabbit hole with this episode. And in some ways, I suppose there isn't really a simple solution to everything I've talked about. Principals and teachers have had so much extra work lumped on them, especially in the last decade, that even the pay deals that are being done don't make up for the vast amount of what's expected in return. Before we even get to where we started on the subject, you know, that's principals should be paid for all the people they manage in a school, the bigger picture is that principals and teachers really need a definition of their job. Maybe a contract, maybe some form of a cap on hours, but all that is meaningless when there's so many agencies involved now in education with competing demands on what teachers and principals must do for free. Effectively, like almost every single issue in primary education that I speak about in this episode, in this podcast, everything comes back to my tangled Christmas decorations that I often refer to. But there's so many things tangling away in the education system that it resembles those tangled Christmas decorations in the attic. And when you feel you're, you've got one knot out, a load of other knots appear and everything else. And before we really do anything, we need to simplify the system. And ultimately, that begins... And I mean, I, I suppose I've been doing these episodes long enough that there is actually one big knot that if you loosened it, it might, it would be amazing how many other knots would be loosened uh, by it. And actually, surprisingly enough, maybe not surprisingly enough, it begins by removing patronage. Almost every single complexity in education follows the fact that we have a patronage system in this country. Um, I'm not just talking about the obvious human rights abuses that um, patronage uh, offers. So, uh, you know, not allowing children come to a school based on the religion and things like that. I mean, I'm not talking about the obvious things like that or the exclusion of pupils and teachers uh, that denominational schools practice um, and things like that. But I mean, less obvious things. You know, I mean, patronage, yes, it's religious based and lots of problems happen because of religion in schools. Other things that happen because of patronage 
are less obvious things, like the, the amount of money that's spent on school buses every year. Because if you have a choice of different schools based on religion, you'll have, or, or even language, children pass by several local schools on buses to get to particular types of schools. And, you know, that's just one thing which, which, which costs, I mean, hundreds of millions of euro um, unnecessarily. And, I mean, there's hundreds of more reasons and potentially billions of euros to be saved just by removing patronage. If we did that, a lot of the problems that we have in education could be solved. So I'd say that as an outset. However, I do know that's not going to happen. Um, I can't see patronage being scrapped tomorrow. But if, given that it isn't going to happen, we need to pay principals fully for doing their job. And because one of the main aspects of their job is managing their staff, in fact, it's exactly how their pay is calculated. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying we. Oh, you need to be paid for every. You know, that I'm taking this idea out of the out of nowhere. The actual the uh, the basis of a principal's wage, or the principal's um, they don't even get a, web, a principal's wage. They get they get supplements to their wage, uh, depending on no, the number of teachers that are in the school. So I mean, it's calculated based on the number of teachers in the school. That's how a principal is paid. So at this time of the recording, if you're in a school of maybe one to five teachers, your um, additional, your supplement, let's say, or whatever the word is, I know supplement's not the right word, um, additional income for bringing allowance is the word. Your allowance for being a principal is 9,800 euro because you have between for one to five teachers in your school. Now, if you're in a school of 20 teachers, that goes up to 22,512. That's a huge jump. It's a lot of it's a lot of extra money. However, you could be in a five teacher special school, but you could also have 12 SNAs and eight bus escorts, which is a total of 25 staff. And you'll still only get paid your €9,800 because you only have five teachers. A big school with no SNAs and no bus escorts, but lots and lots of teachers is likely to get a higher wage than a teacher, a principal in a special school with a few teachers and lots and lots of uh, um, ancillary staff and non-teaching staff. Now, if one is going to go to the effort and if one is going to base the system to calculate one's salary based on the numbers of people being managed, then it needs to include all of those being managed. And by all means, if they don't want to pay principals based on numbers of staff, they need to change the way they calculate the allowance. You can't base it on the number of teachers you have and forget about the, all the other people that you manage. Think of a different way, a different pay mechanism or a different allowance system for principals rather than the one they have uh, in place. Now, representative bodies have allowed the job of a principal gather workload like a snowball spiralling down a ski slope. And the bigger it gets, the harder it is to stop it. That was a very poetic, well, it wasn't really poetic, it was very cliched, but it was slightly poetic. A lot of sounds. Anyway, this workload has to be passed down to the teachers and other staff. And this means that not only are principals doing extra work for free, teachers and other staff are also doing that. And it's completely also unnecessary. So if I were the Minister for Education, I would be paying principals fully for the people they manage. But I wouldn't stop there. There's huge work to be done if we want to keep people in the profession. 
So there you have it. That is episode 63, um, where I really went down the rabbit hole on um, the responsibilities that people have and what was probably a very simple episode or potentially simple episode of we should just let uh, pay principles uh, for the number of people they manage. I thought it was important to understand, like, why am I saying this really? And, you know, ultimately, what else do principals do and what kind of jobs, what else do they do for free um, apart from managing uh, non-teaching staff, which we do do for free? Um, And it just went to show like I suppose how much we how much in a way is taken for granted and again I, I don't want to go back to I suppose lose lose the crowd by whinging a bit but um it was um even as I was kind of talking and going through this it really um it, it surprised me even though I wrote the episode how much extra work we actually are expected to do for absolutely nothing um and um quite worrying all the same um but we but once our representative bodies allow these things to happen i suppose what what can we do um it's it's just one of those things um i suppose we are waiting for uh, our representative bodies to use the word no or to say the word stop um but it doesn't seem to be happening uh, at all at all um anyway if you've enjoyed uh, this episode uh, please tune in every friday evening for um our weekly uh, schedule uh, where I, I tackle one aspect of the education system that i feel needs change uh, episode uh, the next episode i think it's episode 64 is about caretakers so uh, look out for that next week um and uh, if you uh, found this uh, podcast by accident please find it on apple podcast spotify or any podcasting app that you have searching for onshot.net or if i were the minister for education i'd really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will be available to you immediately after its release and feel free to review the podcast so others can find it more easily that's it for me this week thanks so much for listening goodbye <laughs>